to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. How are you today? Hi, Eleni. I'm so excited for today's episode with Ian Mayer Marcellic. He started as a hairdresser behind the chair, and now he's a trainer and educator for Schwarzkopf Professional. And he does training for salons, and he travels all around the country, and it sounds like such a fun artistry job. Oh my gosh, that's really cool. That's such an interesting space for our listeners to hear insight into other paths you can take in that field. And traveling, lots and lots of travel. That sounds actually like a great segue. You were just traveling somewhere. Where where were you this summer? Well, no surprise to anyone who knows me well, we went to Disney. <laughs> That's amazing. And what was on the itinerary for that Disney trip? Well, we got to do something very cool. And it's actually something that won't be around for long. We went on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And the Star Cruiser is a total immersive experience into the Star Wars world. And it closes at the end of September forever. So I'm really glad that we got the chance to do this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I would expect that a super Disney fan like you and your family would be there, but that's still so cool to have gotten in under the wire. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, our artistry and influencing theme continues with our final two episodes in this series. And coming up on the 27th, we have lives with esthetician Ian Michael Crum and a celebrity makeup artist, Janine Lovell. Oh my God. This is such a fun theme and it makes me want to definitely do an artistry theme quarter for next year because there's just so many incredibly talented people and artistry takes many shapes and forms. I'm so glad that we get to shine a spotlight on it here at the show. Yeah. I mean, that even makes me think of our, our listen again awards. If anybody missed those, we had a first time awards show where prize winners took home awards based on, you know, their inspiring episodes and how motivating they are for our listeners to learn. Right. So we're going to do our second Listen Again Awards at the beginning of next year, and that will honor our quarter three and quarter four guests. So we're going to have a winner from our artistry theme. So maybe, you know, you want to give us some insight as you think who you think should win. And then um, our health theme, which will be quarter four, we'll have a recipient from that quarter as well. And we'll celebrate them early next year. Oh, that sounds great. It's so great to look back and appreciate all those conversations that you have with the guests. Well, let's get to it. This is episode 239, Ian Mayer Marcellic. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we continue our artistry and influencing theme with Ian Mayer Marcellus, lead hair colorist and national corporate trainer, Schwarzkopf professional. He's helping fellow hairdressers discover hair color is as easy as you make it, inspiring colleagues to get to the root of the problem by taking tricky concepts and explaining them until they feel comfortable, making all those quick decisions at the color mixing station. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about his career journey from behind the chair to educating the masses all on episode 239. Hi, Ian. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Um, Before we get started, I want to mention your Instagram handle is the best, Ian Hairspray. (laughs) I mean, that is so good. That means to me, I think it means you got you were quick to Instagram a long time ago to snag something as good as that handle. I, I remember sitting on my couch even choosing that name and like years later thinking how ironic because I'm a colorist, not so much a stylist, <laughs> but like, okay, Ian Hairspray works. All right. You could have been Ian Hair Color. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's still yeah. really good. I, I, it's catchy. I'll keep it. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question that's off script because it's on my mind as I sit in my office. Mm-hmm. 
Do you have a clean desk or is yours a mess like mine? Ah, that's the best question. Um, I think in my world, it's it's organized chaos. Um, like I have everything within a reach, but it also looks like I could run the Pentagon from my desk because I have multiple monitors that I work off of. So um, a little bit of both. Like it looks like a mad person works here. <laughs> and um, is that like your happy place for it to be a little chaotic? Mm, is my desk my happy place? No. No, 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 I mean, like, the, the way it's organized. Yeah. I mean, I have everything I need. I can see of it. Yeah. I mean, what is, what's, the, what's the thing, like, you know, the most successful or brilliant people are the most chaotic in their own way? <laughs> let's run with that. Well, let's go way, way, way back because okay. this is a career journey show. Mm-hmm. And most of us, being as ambitious as we are and loving this industry so much, we probably were equally as ambitious as kids. So let's go back to the 11-year-old Ian. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'd even go so far as to say I remember um, six-year-old Ian. I was at a wedding, and I met at the time in 1980, God knows what year, um, a woman introduced herself as a beautician. And I remember being a little boy just thinking, like, oh, my God, her hair, and she's so beautiful. And, like, from that moment, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get into the beauty business at a very young age, which is probably frightening to my parents. Like, oh, God. So when she said beautician and you saw, like, I guess a glamorous look on her, it was the 80s, I'm sure it was super glamorous, you thought, I can do that or I want to do that? Yeah. I immediately was like, this is this is the world I need to be a part of. Like, there was not even a question in my mind. How? I mean, like, you're so young. I know. I was little. But, you know, I think I'm one of the lucky people. You know, like, I had, you know, friends, obviously, in early 20s who were in college and just trying to, like, figure their, their stuff out. And they, I had friends that were kind of, like, jealous. They're like, how did you just know? Like, how you're, like, already in your career path. Like, you're already making money. We're eating ramen over here. Like, it was it was just in me. And and, and so much so that, like, we had a little cocker spaniel when I was a pup or when I was a kid and, and the, the puppy was, you know, and I would, like, tie her ears up with, like, scrunchies. Uh, when my sister was little, I used to like force her to like stand there while I like curled her hair or like, you know, did all the things that I had no idea what I was doing yet. It's literally just intrinsic. It's just inside of me. <laughs> so why do you think that hair was your canvas? Like any anything could have been your canvas, like a literal canvas could have been your canvas. The wall could have been your canvas. Why hair? I mean, uh, yeah, that's a good question because I remember being in beauty school, like we had to dip our skill set in like makeup or, you know, the aesthetics part of it. And I, I mean it would be an insult to the drag community to say that if I did somebody's makeup, they would look like a drag queen. Although, you know, you get my point. It, it probably wouldn't go well. And, you know, aesthetics just didn't really do it for me. I don't, I just, maybe getting my hair done as a kid, I liked how that felt and just that kind of vibe. And I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. I, I and I'm a terrible art, like, like an on canvas, as you said, artist, like I can't draw to save my life and don't ask me to paint. But yeah, it's, it's, that seemed like the happiest medium to me. And then, and then I went to school, beauty school for it. And it was just like gangbusters from there. Do your parents tell you anything about like being a little kid in the, you know, getting your hair cut as a little kid? Cause it's usually actually like kind of traumatic and awful for little kids or they just can't sit still. Did you get any feedback about what you were like in that chair? Yes. I went to like, I I probably, I don't even know who cut my hair when I was like little, 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 but I remember like being of an age where it was like, you have to go get your hair like professionally cut now. And we went to, I, my, I got to go to where my mom got her hair done. And it was like this little like studio house situation. And I just remember feeling like so special being in the chair and like the whole like vibe and like the, the stylist talking to each other. And like, I just was like, I belong here. I just, I fit in. Like, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. <laughs> I love that you recognize how powerful that energy was mm-hmm. for you, right? It is like an energy force. 
oh my God, anybody who's been in a salon where it's like bumping and it's bustling and like people are running around and like, we were just on a photo shoot this last weekend and we had like some downtime and there was a bunch of us sitting around the table. Like this feels like the back room of a salon. Like we're talking about like random stuff and like just, you know, I, it's, yeah, there's a vibe. There's a definite energy to, you know, a bustling salon where, you know, people are coming in and if all goes well, like everybody's in a good mood because you just got fresh highlights. You just got a fresh blowout. Yeah, it's, it's a, I keep saying it, but it's a vibe. <laughs> so tell me if my nomenclature is outdated. Would I say beauty school or cosmetology school? Uh, for me, six of one. Uh, when I went, it was um, beauty school. Um, I think it's still a very commonly used uh, phrasing amongst uh, the industry. But I'd say, you know, to elevate that, we should probably all start adopting more of the formal verbiage of cosmetology school because I am a licensed cosmetologist. I think we're, it's like the word beautician, like beauty school and that kind of like, you know what it means and it's kind of a little dated, but yeah. Okay. So tell me when you went to cosmetology school, did you love being in cosmetology school? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Like, there's some people out there that like they go to school and like that's their first getting into to beauty and like doing hair. And so I had already been, like I said, like forcing my sister to like do her hair and like, you know, highlighting my, my cousin's hair with like boxed Walgreens nonsense and like Reynolds foil from my grandma's kitchen. So when I finally got there and I had already like like tripped over myself and made some mistakes. And so I was a little bit of a rock star in beauty school. Like I actually had like, you have to be on the floor and like do practice heads. I actually had people that were coming to me as regulars in beauty school because they just liked what I did. And so by the time I got into the salon, like behind the chair to do like my apprentice program, I had already made like the, the, the fumbly hands and hair mistakes that, you know, you kind of learn in school. I love hearing your confidence in this young stage of your career, like what I'm hearing from you is like, you knew you were in the right place. Mm -hmm. You knew what the mistakes were and you knew what the growing was. Mm -hmm. And I don't usually hear that for people that early in their career, right? Usually it's a lot of self-doubt or like, you know, misdirection. But I just love that you just really were confident that you're in the right place. That's so beautiful. I think like anybody, like when you know, when you know, like whether it's a job or your or your future partner or what, like when you know, I think you're you're willing to kind of take risks and kind of wiggle within that mm -hmm. space so that you can figure it out because it's at the bottom of your heart, like what you need to be good at. It's what I, I knew I was good at, but I wanted to be like great at it. And I'll say this, I, I graduated school in the year 2000. Um, so 23 years in the business and I'm still learning and I'm still tripping over myself and I'm still you know, nerve. I was terrified to even do this just now. I'm like, I'm, I don't know who's going to be on here listening. Like, what am I, what if I say something wrong? What if I'm offensive? Like, I'm, I think that all is driven from a place of passion. Like you want to be good. You want to be great. You want to do the thing. So you're kind of willing to make mistakes and either learn the hard way or learn the long way. I don't know what, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about getting those first gigs that paid you money, right? So you go from getting your license, you have to be an apprentice, right? You have to have this, like certain number of hours mm -hmm. and learning on the floor. Um, Give me a story, you know, like oh give me a, a wild, a wacky, a weird, or just a pleasurable story from those early, early days before you, you know, had your own clientele. You know what I loved, I'll say just about beauty school, I went to school with a, a girl who I am friends with still, and we knew it was a serious thing because it was going to be like our lifelong journey and career and how we're going to make money. But I also remember like not taking ourselves too seriously and we would like run through the school throwing perm rods at people like down the hallway and screaming perm class, perm class, because we were ridiculous humans and like, 
at the end of the day, like, yes, beauty and, and the whole <laughs> the industry is serious, but like, come on, we're tossing, chucking perm rods at people, like screaming. <laughs> and that sounds like a transition scene in a musical. Like, I, I'm, like, I don't even know. Totally. God, I, well, you know, I, I started at a salon though. It was uh, the early aughts, you know, and it was in a mall. Um, at, if anybody's from the Midwest, uh, Woodfield Mall is like, it was the rage back in the day. And, and when you started at Heidi's, uh, which was like a chain of salons um, local to the Chicagoland area, it was like the place to be. And so you had to like earn your stripes. It was two years uh, before I got a chair on the floor and people started paying me. So you, you got a, a lot of chances and opportunities to make mistakes and, you know, do models and learn and, and things like that. But yeah, I, I also remember like hustling, you know, and when you're in school and you have no money, like I was trying to find change under the floor mat of my car to go like buy a donut in the morning. I would do some hair on the side anywhere I could to like make some cash or whatever. And then it just starts picking up from there. So let's talk about this finding change for a donut. Because I imagine that, well, maybe, do you eat donuts still? Like, would you buy a donut? Absolutely. So (laughs) it makes me think of something that's happened to me in my career. So early in my entrepreneurial journey, when I had no game and, like, really didn't know what I was doing, like, my business wasn't making a lot of money and, you know, had a roof over my head and a warm home in the winter and a cool home in the summer. But I didn't have money for, like, the extras, right? Mm -hmm. So I would, like want to go out and get like, you know, a delicious iced tea at like the cool coffee shop. But then I'd be like, no, because that's $5. And then tomorrow it's another $5. Right? I didn't have room for these things. So now every time, anytime I go to get an iced tea, I feel this like warmth of such gratitude that like, I don't even have to think about paying for the iced tea anymore. Right? It's just mm-hmm. I can have the iced tea. Um, do you have these sensations through your, your time? Like, you know, when you had to be so lean as a young person, just getting your footing to, you know, just being able to move through the world and make decisions and not have to worry about them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely, so my husband and I, when we lived in New York, uh, we were very poor um, and he had, had started his own business um, in, in Manhattan of all places. And I was working for Schwarzkopf as like a regional up in the Northeast part of the country. So I had an area that I managed, but it's New York. And so even though I was making like, I'd say good money, like it still was like not very well in New York. And so we were poor, we were living paycheck to paycheck and we always said to each other, just think when we have what well, we called it the laughing times, when we look back on when we were poor and laugh about the fact that like going out to dinner was a treat or, you know, like you said, like buying the, the Starbucks was like, oh, that's it's it's Friday. I can do that today. And so now we're, we're we, we say that we're in the laughing times because, you know, we do OK and we can you know, go out to dinner with friends or like, you know, take a long weekend in New York. And yeah, we still have to watch it, but life is good. You know, like I'm, I'm in an industry that is, there's so many facets to in the ways that you can make money. And I, while I don't do hair full time anymore behind the chair, I work for this brand, you know, and they take care of us and, uh, yeah, we're in we're in the laughing times now. I um, love that. We get to buy donuts and coffee, whatever we want. <laughs> I love that. It's the simple things, you know. I think that's what why this is meaningful to me is one wouldn't think an iced tea is a big deal, but for me, it's just a marker of like progress and all the hard work I put into my career and what it's given me back. Right. Yep. And you know, it's like this muscle that I'm building, you know, day after day, week after week, and now my muscle yeah. is stronger. And I really am grateful and appreciative of that. And I know a lot of people in our industry are, right? We all have to start from somewhere. Okay, so let's talk about let's switch gears. There's probably a lot of people who are going to listen to this episode and wonder about 
how do I get from A to B, right? You know, like there's zillions of people in cosmetology school today. Many of them would probably love to have a job like yours, right? Maybe it'd be working behind the chair every day is not for everybody, right? And you get to meet people, you get to, um, you know, share your craft, but do it in a way that allows you to travel and um, bring new trends forward. So how would one person get from school to a job like this? I... I'm going to say something that I say to everybody who comes into the um, Schwarzkopf professional brand who are looking to be an educator. And it's something that I've just kind of stumbled across in the past few years as a as a pillar of my being. So what I'm about to say is very profound, <laughs> at least I think, is how can you be extra? How can you, like, if somebody asks you to do something, you don't just do it. You have like, how 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 can I give more? You know, how can I... How can I be noticed? And so my thing, if you had to ask when, from like when I was in beauty school to like, you know, working behind the chair to managing, you know, a region for Schwarzkopf to like being a national trainer, now the senior national trainer, is what makes you stand out? What makes you different? What makes you better than the person or the salon next to you down the street? You know, whatever. How are you extra? And so, yes, I started out doing hair and then I started working for Schwarzkopf uh, professional full-time, but I kind of carved out for myself, what my niche was. And my niche is kind of chemistry, technical, you know, taking things from like research and development chemists and then being able to explain them to your everyday hairdresser. That's my wheelhouse. And I am so into it and so passionate about it that I can explain, you know, any chemicals, anything about hair color to anybody in such a, I could do it six different ways. And so that's, that's earned me this very niche little spot at Schwarzkopf Professional because I work with marketing because I have an eye for detail there. I work with our research and development team on, yeah, a hairdresser would never use that or, you know, that would take too much time or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm in such a unique little spot that I've carved out for myself. Uh, so I would say if you've got something in your brain and or an idea of what you want, you want to be the national trainer, whatever it looks like, figure out what your extra is, figure out whatever it is that you're good at or that you're special with and just blow it up and make sure people know that that's what you're good at because there's a million hairdressers that are probably graduating you know, around the world and how, how the hell are you going to stand out? Like, and it doesn't even have to do anything with social media. It's just, how do you stand out? I mean, that of course helps, but sorry for the long, you know, it's my thing and passion. I love that, Ian, because that is amazing. And I think it's really wise advice for anyone in any industry, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how are you going to plus up, you know, the work versus the other people around you? That's, you know, energy wise, quality of work wise, how you make everyone else's job easier wise, like it could apply to anything. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then my, my other thing, and, and it's sometimes it's hard, <laughs> depends on the day, is to just, just be nice. <laughs> it sounds like that's such a ridiculous thing to say, but like, and nobody's perfect, right? But like being humble and being just genuinely nice, like when somebody asks you a question in a class or somebody, you know, just always like with a smile. You know, like we have snappy days, everybody does, nobody's perfect. But like, I've just found that I want people to remember me as being like a genuinely nice and passionate person who's approachable. Because, you know, you can, when you, you start climbing these ladders in whatever career direction you want to go, it, you you sometimes tend to lose touch with kind of where you came from. So just kind of being mindful of of who got you there and, and who helped you. And, and being just nice to people, I think, just goes away a lot farther than a lot of people realize. I appreciate this topic and I want to dig into it a little bit more because when I was starting in the advertising and marketing industries, 
I was brought on to shoot and like I saw like legit prima donna behavior, right? Like people not being nice, people, you know, making themselves the center of attention when like they, you know, shouldn't have been really causing like kind of tornadoes and hurricanes within the work. And I vowed when I started my own agency, like I'm never working with a prima donna personality. Like the only people we will work with are kind and nice and respectful. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen the same, right? In your career. Have you noticed like a big shift? you know, in terms of the way people behave um, and treat each other in these creative environments? I do. Um, You know, back in, like I said, the early aughts when I was getting started, I think this whole culture of like breaking people down to build them back up was like, was a thing. I'm not even going to use the word vibe because I I think it's disgusting. I think some people respond to it, you know, being broken down to be built back up in, in the culture of wherever it is they're working. So whether it's a chain of salons or like a, you know, wherever, but maybe it's the millennial in me. That's kind of like, I, I grow more with positive um, encouragement and feedback than I do telling me, Oh, that, you know, that highlight sucked. Do it again. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like the, the energy of our industry is kind of shifting more into you catch more bees with honey. I think, I don't know what the phrase is, but you get what I'm saying. Like long gone, I feel and am perpetuating are the days of yelling at people and screaming at people and making people feel little, you know, and as I said, some people thrive on that and, and, and propel and, you know, really that's what lights them. Um, That is not the way that I work and nor do I want the culture where I work to be that. And so whenever I see it, smell it, you know, whatever, it's, it doesn't last long. There's no space for that at all. So we have a lot of um, people who are stylists or in salons or in um, creative environments. Um, If you could just add into the comments, your observations, if people have been, I guess, behaving appropriately the past, let's say five years versus when you start out in your career, I'd love to get some more perspectives um, from our listeners. So, um, and you can DM us, DM us if you just feel like you don't, you want to keep it private. That's fine too. Okay. Let's talk about the intersection of being a professional, a pro voice and expert, and knowing that posting a lot on social media can help you in your career, but you also are busy doing your day job, right? So this is a huge tension, right? You're an artist mm-hmm. and an expert to get more credibility and more exposure and more opportunities being a part of the machine of social media is valuable. But that means that you have to take time away from being in your day world, right? To do that. So I hear from so many working stylists, colorists, makeup artists, uh, wardrobe stylists, photographers, they're too busy during the day doing their work, but like there's a need for it and a want for it. So how do you reconcile this? Because you are artist and influencer god this that's the that's the million dollar question of 20 whatever the year is it's a new special kind of talent that i don't have i don't work i mean which i still obviously i work for schwarzkopf professional we've got amazing influencers like maggie mh and be seen the blonde chronicles edgy b girl josie Villa. I, all of these people are so incredibly talented in that Yes, they are skilled hairdressers, but somehow managed to like weave in this ability to show themselves off or 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 share their work to like, you know, just simply share with people. It's such a tight rope to walk and be able to like be professional, have your clientele, give them the the attention and the quality they deserve, plus capture good content for like reels or whatever, the lighting and then the posting and the cat. I admire 
people who can do this with grace because I would be fumbling all over the place with like, my phone would be in the bowl of bleach and there'd be foils everywhere. I mean, it would, I would have the, the Instagram channel or like utter salon chaos would be my Instagram handle for that if I tried to do that. I want to just give a shout out to Sheer Share who just joined. So they were guests on my show, Courtney and Ty, the founders years ago. And I love that they just joined because um, this is not an ad. This is just my editorializing. They created an app that's almost like the Uber for stylists. So you can rent a chair in a city, in a salon where you're doing work just for the day for a few hours. Great for people who do, you know, work on both coasts or in multiple cities. So I want to shout out to Sheer Share because I love what Courtney and Ty are doing. And you, these are your people, <laughs> you know, all these yeah, salon hi, owners. And, and for salon owners, when they don't have all their chairs filled, it's a great way to make supplemental income by having these people Absolutely. rent chairs for the day. Okay, so let's talk about this other aspect that's so important and it's a theme that comes up so often on our show is the seduction of success. So success in our industry is really exciting, right? We're, we're fun. Like this is amazing, but there's only 24 hours in the day and you don't want to be awake for all those. And you know, certainly don't want to be working for all those. So what is your advice to people in your industry about like when to take a pause, right? Like to press pause on the ambition and be a human or be a friend or a partner or, you know, a sibling or whatever it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a really phenomenal question. Okay. So specifically for like my world, uh, in the world of like professional hair education, um, like I said at the beginning, you know, I'm super passionate and I want to make sure that whatever I do is done well or received well or whatever. So I get nervous before I'm supposed to do things like this or, or a stage presentation. I think the age old saying, like when you kind of start to lose those those nerves of passion, maybe it's time to like take a beat, you know, but that question is really good because it's going to be different for everybody. I, I, again, like I don't have kids. I have a husband. We have some pets. Like my life is fairly simple. And I say that in comparison to like, you know, I see these like artists with the kids and I, I couldn't, I have a niece and nephew and that I, I, I don't know. I just, it's so hard for, for people. So I feel like, you know, where maybe you start to lack in one area of your life and that's um, getting in the way, you know, the, the shifting of balance, I think mm -hmm. is that's where, there we go. There, I finally got there. The shifting of balance sometimes can be um, a tricky thing, but when you start not loving what you do, it might mm. take a minute to like figure, I mean, cause it, like you said it perfectly, you know, people who are behind the chair, love being behind the chair. I would still be behind the chair one or two days a week, but I didn't want to be behind the chair for the rest of my life. I wanted to still be in the beauty industry, but in a different facet. So I started kind of barking up the education tree and now that's turned into this. And, you know, I think that it's a beautiful industry because there are so many facets that you can have in it. Education, presenter, hair colorist, hair stat. I mean, the list goes on for days and it's such a great way for you to still be in it, um, even if you're not loving one part of it. Before we move off our interview portion of the show, I want to um, do something I don't usually do, which is actually talk about beauty. I want to tell you in the world that I've decided to embrace my gray. Um, I'm 47 and like around my temples, it's just getting to be a lot. So instead of coloring and covering over my gray, I we're doing like low lights of my dark brown and mixing it in so that I get a sprinkle of gray. So it takes more time in the chair, right? So I'm definitely like spending more time in the salon, but it was time. The line of demarcation was driving me nuts, right? Like with yeah. all those grays growing in. And now I'm on a new path 
and a new journey. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't really tell that much when I have my hair like this, but when I pull it back in a pony, you can see like a lot more gray. For sure. And I, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to the the Chicago Santa Claus here because my my beard started going gray in my 20s. And for like a hot minute, I was like, oh, I could just like comb some color through, almost like what you were saying. And then I started to look like that cheesy guy at the bar who like colors his facial hair and it looks terrible. And I was like, well, I can't be that guy. So I'm just, I my whole thing is like, you know, good skin, young face, white hair. Love that combo. And I can see that for you as well. So you're, you're rocking it and keep going. So maybe hopefully we'll get to see each other in real life in a few months or so. And I'll have more of my, you know, grow out and I'm, I'm ready for it. I mean, maybe I'm not totally ready for it, but I'm ready to move beyond the line of demarcation and the ridiculous frequency of covering it all. That I well, especially since COVID, I've noticed so many people like growing out their color. But there, it's it's a look. Like if you can pull it off and it's done, and you're like, you know, I don't know. I I sometimes think people are, you know, oh, you let it go, you let yourself go, you have gray hair. Like no, like style it out, get a cute cut, like wear red lip. I love it. So I want to tell one funny story before we move on. Um, I have eyeglasses and they're gray. They're like a gray gradient. And I was at the gym this morning and I had my hair pulled back into a tight bun. And somebody said to me, oh, I love your glasses. They match your hair. (laughs) But in my head, I'm like, my hair is brown, but it's not. It's like, really? It's like this. It's like gradient. It's like a little bit dark to light. And I just thought that was really funny. I've definitely moved into the place where people are seeing (laughs) the gray Uh and recognizing it. It's happening. It's real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh yeah okay this is wrapping up our interview segment for thank you so much ian this is so fun and your honesty and wisdom is so incredible i know our listeners are so grateful okay we have a few minutes left for fan questions and there's so many that rolled in okay oh this is a really good one um mdm asks mm-hmm. are blondes still your specialty i'd say yeah, I yeah, I love the transformation. I am blonde. It, it's just, I'd say, yeah. I think most of my, my people that I still do are blondes. Do you see people, like, are you looking at me being like, I want to make her a blonde? Like, is that, like, do you want to blonde the world? No. Um, no. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like there should be more meat to this answer. You know, what, I can tell when, it, when it's going to look good. But honestly, anybody could kind of be blonde, whether it's just like, you know, little face framings or like full blown bleach and tone. Blonde could be for everybody. I think that's why I, I like it. Like you could kind of put it on anybody, um, but I don't necessarily like look at people and like, oh, this is how I would do their hair. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I lived on Miami Beach for a little while for a job. And yeah, what happens when you go to places like this is you go from being brunette to being blonde, like over time. And <laughs> I didn't know I was becoming like so blonde, as blonde as I became, right? You just sort of just happens gradually sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to New York, and I was like walking around the streets in New York. I'm like, this is not me. I felt like a golden retriever. Like it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and like in Miami, I guess it made sense. But once I was back in, you know, my old neighborhood in New York, I was like, I need to be brunette again. This is not the real me. I will say, yeah, being, I feel like if you're blonde in New York, it's almost like the handbag you carry. Like, because you're telling people I can afford to be this blonde. So, yeah, I could, <laughs> and I've seen, I lived there for 10 years and I've seen it. Like, you see these women walking around, I'm like, oh, yeah, you you know you're blonde and you're owning it. I love. <laughs> yeah, I just felt like I was wearing, like, a costume. Like, a, like, I was, you know, it wasn't 
who I was. Um, I was in disguise. Um, Okay. I think we have time for one more question. Oh, this is such a good one. Do you have any summer vacation plans? Summer vacation plans. Well, we just went to, actually, we just went to New York a few weeks ago just to like have a long weekend because that's my happy place on this planet. Like you could, Paris, Maldives, whatever, New York is my jam. But uh, we're planning a friend trip to Nicaragua early next year, which is like the big, big one. So we'll get to, we'll get to experience Central America. Um, But no, this summer I'm actually taking a week off, but I'm being hella basic and boring and I'm going to stay at home and like reorganize a Tupperware drawer and clean out the closet, you know, like the boring things that you never get to do. But those things are so (laughs) satisfying. Oh, I'm going to read Kondo up my closet. Like we've got, oh yeah, we're, yeah, we're, the the lawn will be mowed. The dogs will be groomed. It'll be, yeah. (laughs) Ian, this has been so much fun. I'm so grateful for your time and your wisdom. Thank you. And for joining us for our 239th episode. 239. Yay. Thank you so much. This is like the most fun part of my day. I cannot thank you enough. Um, I'll happily come back and do it anytime. You're such a great host. Oh, thank you. And thank you for our fans for joining us. If you like this episode, please rate and review. And as always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on the upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.